Hi, I'm Debbie Georgianis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about seeking judicial review is now an impeachable offense, impeachment, the hilarious and shocking reactions, homeless versus homeowners in the West Coast, and the Peloton Wars. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. We are enjoying an adventure here at our studio today, Real News PR. Matt is uh, the wonderful producer, who's usually here, is out sick, allegedly. I think he's faking, but he's supposedly out. So we're just pulling it together here, and a little bit late starting, but so I'm so glad you tuned in. On today's first five, I want to hit three quick points about impeachment in Washington. You likely know that the House Judiciary Committee has announced they are going to issue, they have issued articles of impeachment. It appears that a vote within the committee, the Judiciary Committee, will happen on Thursday. And assuming that the Judiciary Committee votes yes, long party lines, votes yes for impeachment, that will move to the floor of the House for debate next week. So we're really coming down to literally the week before Christmas going to be watching the hearings in Washington about the impeachment of the president. I want to hit on some really important points though, about this impeachment effort. Number one, the Democrats chose to go with just two articles of impeachment, meaning they are not going to try to impeach the president on anything related to Mueller investigation and the whole Trump-Russia collusion hoax. The two articles of impeachment are basically on alleged abuse of power relating to the conversation between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky back in July and Trump's alleged refusal to, uh, the this, this second article of impeachment is about obstruction of, of, of Congress, obstruction of justice, obstruction of Congress. They're saying basically because President Trump did not want to comply with every request for document, every request to make a witness available, that constitutes obstruction of justice. And I want to hit in that second point first, because we've hit in the first one so long. The idea that what President Trump did in deciding that he was going to take his argument to our court system to decide whether or not he actually had to produce the documents that the Democrats were requesting or make available the witnesses the Democrats were requesting is a basic article of due process. Everybody has the right to go to a court and challenge a subpoena, challenge the kind of things that the, that the Congress was doing. And the Democrats are not only saying that they are above, they are the, you know, the three executive, uh, three branches of government are equal. They're not only saying they're above the right of the president. They decide what the president can decide and holds executive privilege. But they're saying he doesn't even have the right to take it to court to get a judge to decide whether or not his decisions, whether his labeling of certain conversations and documents and events fall under the executive privilege. This is power gone wild on the American left. Second point, very, very interesting, was the Democrats actually did polling, polling to try to figure out what would fly in the American people's views when they pursued impeachment. So they polled the question whether the American people would agree with what the evidence has shown so far 
could possibly constitute bribery. They wanted to get that word bribery in the articles of impeachment because it comes right out of the Constitution. Apparently, polling answers didn't make them very happy because they decided not to use that word in the articles of impeachment. The idea of stretching stretching the notion that the um, the, the entire uh, interaction between the president and Zelensky, the entire decision, uh, whether he, what President Trump did say to Zelensky, could constitute impeachment, was so absurd, could constitute bribery, so absurd, so ridiculous, that even the Democrats had to say, yeah, you know, we're not going to go with that, can't go there with that. Final piece from uh, in our first five today relating to the uh, Judiciary Committee and the entire process in Congress is this. As the impeachment hearing was rolling along yesterday, Republicans got very little chance to do much. They did have the opportunity to play the tape that we've shown the show so many times. I'm not going to play it again for you, but this is the tape of presidential candidate Biden, then Vice President Biden, speaking at the Council on Foreign Relations on stage, knowing he was recording, speaking about his interaction with Ukrainians in fact, mocking or kind of showing off as he described his interaction with the Ukrainians, saying, and I told them, you know, I got my flat leaves in six hours. And if you don't fire that prosecutor who is investigating Biden's son's company, Burisma, you don't fire him, we're going to withhold a billion dollars in aid. So the Republicans got to finally show the American people this is what we're talking about. This is real quid pro quo, real bribery, which Biden did without any apology at all, and yet this is what they're going to try to impeach President Trump on, who didn't do what Biden did. But the last point in this closing of today's first five, as Republicans got to the point in the hearing to play that, ABC, NBC, and CBS suddenly found it desirable and necessary to cut away from the impeachment hearings and go back to regularly scheduled programming. The media is just as happy as the Democrats to find any reason whatsoever to get rid of this president, which does lead me to one last little thing I want to do. We have, instead of Matt the Wonderful today, we have Travis the Wonderful. And I don't know, Travis, I sent some clips. There's a, a, a tweet that was put out by Paul Sperry, and it was a tweet about Paul Begala. And if we, ha okay, here we have it. Paul Sperry tweeted out, in a CNN interview this morning, Clinton consultant Paul Begala said he met privately with Nancy Pelosi right after the Democrats won the House in 2018 to discuss impeaching President Trump. Begala also said Dems will have to keep impeaching Trump if he's not removed and if he is reelected. And so let me tell you what I've said. As someone pointed out to me recently, I've made this point a few times in the show, I'm going to make it again. This impeachment has nothing at all to do with the conversation President Trump had with Zelensky of the Ukraine, anything to do with the entire interaction between the Trump administration and the Ukrainians. It has everything to do with the mission the Democrats have had since the moment Trump was announced as the victor in the 2016 elections. The entirety of this impeachment process is simply the Democrats fulfilling their determination to deprive the American people of their duly elected president because they're very upset he won. We've talked about many, many reasons why the Democrats don't like that President Trump won, including that he's actually succeeding in draining the swamp. But Begala saying this on CNN, folks, this is a Democrat insider acknowledging since before 
the Democrats even took control of the House. Once they won the 2018 midterm elections, he and Nancy Pelosi talked about having to impeach Trump over and over until they got their way. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I want to turn and talk about something, you know, it's a very interesting um, thing in America today, this uh, impeachment. And I, this morning when I sat down at my desk to start getting ready for the show, I thought, you know, I am not going to do one single topic about impeachment. I'm just going to, you know, declare today an impeachment-free zone. But you can't let it go. You can't ignore it because some of these things are so, so, so serious. So I'm going to start with what we have for today. I believe we have ready. This is a clip, and this is why I do. I'm playing a funny clip in a moment, but I'm going to play a very serious clip first. This morning, Attorney General Barr was interviewed, and I, I believe Travis the Wonderful, sitting in from Matt the Wonderful, has available this interview. It is a bit of a long clip. It's three minutes, but you have to hear Attorney General Barr this morning essentially responding to the conclusion of the Inspector General report, which despite finding many, 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 many aspects of failing to follow the law and dishonesty and contortion of facts, concluded couldn't find any reason to believe there's anything wrong with initiating the investigation inside the FBI of alleged Trump-Russia collusion. So this is Attorney General Barr answering why it is he still says, yes, you know, thanks for the report, Inspector General Horowitz, but you know what? We actually, there's a big problem with how this whole investigation into the Trump-Russia non-existent collusion got started. Here's Attorney General Barr. Mr. Attorney General, why do you say that the FBI opened the investigation of the Trump campaign on the thinnest of suspicions? Well, I'm glad to get into the issue of predication, but let me just start out by saying that uh, I think you have to put this in context. I think the heart of uh, the IG's report really focused on how the investigation was conducted once it got going, and that is especially the very serious abuses of FISA that occurred much of which has been, in my view, not accurately reported by the press over the last day. Uh, but in, in one area, I do disagree uh, with the IG, and that was whether there was sufficient predication to open a full-blown uh, uh, counterintelligence investigation, specifically using the techniques that they did uh, to collect intelligence about the Trump campaign. Well, well, as a policy matter, why, why not open an investigation on a thin pretext? I guess on the one hand, you could say it's a presidential campaign, it's very sensitive, you need better evidence. On the other hand, you could say it's a presidential campaign. We have to be very careful. There could be a, a, a threat to our political process. Well, I think, uh, I, I think probably from a civil liberty standpoint, the greatest danger to our free system is that the incumbent government use the apparatus of the state, principally the law enforcement agencies and the intelligence agencies, uh, both to spy on political opponents, but also uh, to use them in a way that could affect the outcome of the election. As far as I'm aware, this is the first time in history that this has been done to a presidential campaign, the use of uh, these counterintelligence techniques against a presidential campaign. And we have to remember that in today's world, presidential campaigns are frequently in contact with foreign persons. And indeed, in most campaigns, there are signs of illegal foreign money coming in. And we don't automatically assume uh, that the campaigns are nefarious and traitors and acting in league with foreign powers. There has to be some basis before we use these very potent powers 
in our core First Amendment activity. And here, uh, I felt this was very flimsy. Basically, I think the department has a rule of reason, which is at the end of the day, uh, is what you're relying on sufficiently powerful to justify the techniques you're using? And uh, the question there is, how strong is the evidence? How sensitive is the activity you're looking at? And what are the alternatives? And I think when you step back here and say, what was this all based on? Uh, it's not sufficient. Remember, there was and, and never has been any evidence of collusion. And yet this campaign and the president's administration has been dominated by this investigation into what turns out to be completely baseless. Folks, if there ever, ever was, if there ever was proof that we did a great thing having, and President Trump did a great thing appointing Attorney General Barr, it is that interview right there. He has the, to use the word the Democrats love, gravitas. He has the seriousness to look the NBC guy in the face, to look the American people in the face, and simply say, this is, in paraphrasing, this is the most absurd, baseless, thinnest of reasons to have launched and used the U.S. National uh, Security Forces, the U.S. law enforcement, against a candidate. And so, you know, the NBC guy arguing the left wing saying, well, you know, shouldn't any suspicion about a president's relationship or a candidate's relationship with a foreign power, shouldn't it immediately uh, cause concern? And isn't that why you should go ahead, even with a thin basis of evidence, uh, go ahead and investigate? And I loved his answer. Attorney General Barr is so strong. He's unwavering. Wavering. He is not pushed around. He's just saying, you know, the danger is the use of our national law enforcement agencies to attack a political opponent, which is what everyone can see actually happened in this case. And I got to tell you, folks, even though the impeachment articles we talked about a minute ago do not include the Mueller investigation, what you just heard from Attorney General Barr is a very serious message to people inside the FBI and the Department of Justice and Congress. I would say both sides of the aisle, but mostly the Democrats, a very serious message that he and his team at the Department of Justice are not going to let this go. They're not going to go for, okay, well, you know, we wasted a bunch of money, a bunch of time, and guess we were wrong, and sorry about that, we made a mistake, he didn't, you know, President Trump never did clue with the Russians. He's not going to let it go. He sees exactly what it was was happening inside the FBI, and he is not going to let it go because he sees not just that it was profoundly unjust to President Trump, but in a far deeper way, it is unfair to the American people. It's unfair to the system of governance that is supposed to be applied to all of us. And if you let that kind of thing go, which I've been calling a coup, whatever term you're comfortable with, the idea that you would use the strongest, most absolute powers possessed by our national law enforcement agencies to make a groundless, baseless, baseless attack on a political opponent, if you let that go, you're just saying, I'll surrender the rule of law. Who's ever in charge in Washington gets to use the federal agencies to go after their enemies. It's part of the uh, you know, spoils of victory. If you win the presidency, you can turn the entire federal government against your enemies. That's what we would be saying if we let this go.
I have to tell you, back to impeachment now, I think that Nancy Pelosi feels like she's in the caboose in a train that's heading over the cliff. She can see how dumb this impeachment is. She's already figured this out, but she's not driving the train. She cannot stop it. She is, she's on the train. She sees she has Nadler and Schiff and the radical element of the Democrat Party driving this impeachment. She can see herself how baseless it is. She knows what Biden said on national television, what Biden did in the Ukraine in 2016. She knows all that. She can see the idea that they're trying to impeach President Trump over conversation, when he, which was fine, which, which was not problematic, impeach him over what they know Biden did, and then try to impeach him as a second ground because he dares to stand up for his legal rights and take the issue to court whether or not documents and people subpoenaed by Congress must be immediately surrendered. She can see this is dangerous. She's on the train, but she's in the caboose. She would, she's deciding now, should I jump off, let the train go, and say, okay, that's the crazy part of our party. I'm still here. I'm the leader of the Democrats. They're crazy. I'm not. Or does she go over the cliff, but she can see how problematic it is. There was actually polling out recently, new polling, about how the, what the impact of the impeachment is on voters in swing states. This is, making, this is keeping Speaker Pelosi awake at night because it was great polling, essentially supporting the idea that the American people see exactly what I've been saying and other conservative pundits say about this impeachment. There's no base to it. There's no basis to it. There's no justification for it. It's an outrage. So polling, quarterly polling from the, from the Republican firm Firehouse Strategies went, found that in the big picture, President Trump won in, the, in these swing states of Michigan, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, those three swing states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, polling had showed the Democrats, any Democrat up there in the, in the uh, current primary would have beat President Trump by whatever it was, five, six, eight points a few months ago. Now, in those three swing states, because of impeachment, President Trump is shown beating them in the polls. This impeachment is making the American people sick. They are sick of watching the shenanigans, the lies, the contortions, the grotesque injustice of what the Democrats are doing, and Nancy Pelosi does see it. She also knows, of course, they can't get anywhere with it. It will go to the Senate, and even if you have a, flu a few of the Republicans flake out and vote with the Democrats, which could happen, you're not going to get to the two-thirds in the Senate to remove him, so they're not going to remove him. All this impeachment accomplishes, she hopes, is tarnishing President Trump's reputation with the American voters. That's all that this is about. And she sees it's not working. It's already not working. And now that they've honed down the impeachment articles to two absurd articles of impeachment, whatever the House does, she can see their toes. Last thing on this topic I want to hit, um, actually, next to last thing. I have a clip to play for you in a moment. Turning Point USA had one of their hilarious people things where they go out with a you know, man on the street camera and they talk to people on the beach in California about whether or not Trump should be impeached. Oh, it's just hilarious. But before I get to that, there was also another poll I must tell you about. Another poll among likely Democrat voters. This was an online poll by Harris Polling. Democrat voters asking them who they would identify as a front runner in the Democrat campaign for uh, to get the nomination to run for president. Of all the, whatever it is, 15 people still in, who is their favorite choice, their front runner, to be the Democrat nominee for president? You know who won by significant margin? Hillary Clinton. 
Yeah, she's not even in. I, I'm telling you, folks, she's going to get in. She's going to wait until the Democrat, uh, whatever it's going to be, the convention, she will get. She's winning the polling that people want her more than they want any of the clown car you're still seeing on stage. But last thing is, I want to turn to Turning Point USA. We have a clip. This is one of the man in the street that go, the people on the beach in California, to say, basically, should we impeach President Trump? I believe, Travis, we do have that clip, right? I'm speechless. Benny Johnson here with Benny on the Block. We are here in hyper-liberal, super-socialist, absolute commie California to ask the population here, right on the beach, what they think of impeaching Donald Trump. Let's go hear what they have to say. On the block. See? Perfect. Uh, and I'm asking people today whether they believe that Donald Trump should be impeached. Mr. Trump has made some statements that I believe sound reasonable, like enforcing the existing laws on immigration. That made sense. So Mitchell Trump may put both feet in his mouth on occasion. He's pretty bombastic, but we're all even, sir. I'm sure I do too now on occasion. So he's got to forgive a brother. Okay. Okay. There was uh, several clips. That was one. I want to make the point about, okay, look at the guy. He's got a ponytail beard, a bizarre, I don't even know what that hat, like a wizard hat. He looks like he's, and he's completely aware that Donald Trump is standing up to enforce immigration laws as written. He's saying, hey, you got to support a brother. And I mean, this is hilarious. So we have two more. We can actually run the next two clips together if we could. Please, Travis, two more people. Do you think that President Trump should be impeached? <laughs> oh, um, no, I don't. You know, I'm optimistic because he is our president that he so has funny. the best for our nation at heart. You know, as an American... Sir, do you think that uh, President Donald Trump should be impeached? No, I don't. I don't think he did anything wrong. The libs, they don't say anything about what <laughs> Biden did. All the fake news channels, CNN, all those, they don't put that out there. You know, they don't, they don't put Biden out there at all. You sound like a Trump supporter in California. I am. Nancy Pelosi, give it up because they're coming after you. <laughs> Okay, so that guy is actually saying Nancy Pelosi are coming after you. The previous guy, that, you know, surfer dude, I mean, so funny. I guess we cut short at the end of it, but he just, he was saying he's elected president. I think he gives some due respect. I think he's doing a fine job. Anyway, obviously, the people doing these, the Turning Point USA, they may have encountered a bunch of people who said yes on impeachment. I, there's no way to see the whole clip. You can only see what they, uh, what they put out. But the idea that this different lineup of people in California are saying, are you kidding me? There's no basis for this. And that beat that uh, kind of surfer dude guy was very much I just, you know, a, an average kind of American thinker. Of course, we need to support the president. He's doing a great job. And I think in our country, you're supposed to support the duly elected president. This is fabulous. I'm telling you, people, impeachment is not playing in Peoria. It is not. And the Democrats, Pelosi's on that train, is near the cliff. She can't figure out what to do, but she doesn't think she dares stop it. She's afraid to stop it, and she's afraid if it goes over the cliff. Because they have built up, the Democrat Party has built up expectation among the American people from the time that President Trump won his nomination. They've built up the expectation that somehow we'll get rid of this guy. Doesn't matter what he did. Doesn't matter whether he deserved impeachment. Doesn't matter whether he's committed any crime or other impeachable offense. They have convinced their radical left base 
that they will get rid of him. This seemed to be, you know, the best wave to jump on for Nancy Pelosi. Oh, okay, maybe this this thing with uh, with Zelensky and Ukraine will fly. It is not flying. And the more the Republicans, what I think the GOP should do in Washington, the RNC rather, they ought to take that Biden clip of him speaking to the Council on Foreign Relations and saying, hey, you know, I, I looked at my watch, I said six hours, you don't fire that guy, I'm holding back a billion dollars of aid. They ought to put that out in every major market in this country. Just put it out like that and with an ending. And this is what they want to impeach President Trump over? Honest to goodness, because you know, you and I, if you watch the show, you've seen this, I've seen this, lots of people have seen it. But for the American people to really get clear that the Democrats are trying to remove the president for what Biden has done will not sit well. It'd be worth the money for the RNC to put out that ad. Okay, two more quick stories for today. Uh, one about homelessness uh, versus homeowners. And this is entirely changing topics, but in, the, uh, in Oregon, Oregon, how are we supposed to say it? Uh, the state of Oregon, they have a massive problem with homeless encampments. And it's kind of interesting, I'm gonna contrast what they did versus California, but in Oregon, the state of Oregon actually tried to help homeowners by placing boulders in certain areas to simply prevent these homeless encampments from growing. So they had homeless encampments all over the place, blocking freeways, blocking freeway exits. And so finally, the state of Oregon said, you know, they, they spent literally hundreds of thousands of dollars rolling boulders into various areas to block the creation of homeless encampments. So this was going on for a while, they're getting kind of tired of it. So the state of Oregon announced that they were going to hand over dealing with the homeless problem they have in Portland, in Portland and other places uh, by passing it off uh, to the various cities. They want to hand off responsibility for clearing illegal homeless campsites on state property within the city of Portland. So Portland, the city run by uber leftists, is now can't you know, blame the state of Oregon for putting these boulders in place. They've got to deal with the homeless problem. So in Portland, the city commission called the uh, Planning and Sustainability Commission in Portland, the city of Portland, passed a resolution. I just want to read you the language and then you tell me what it means. They decided um, that a change to building guidelines was needed, this is last month in November, that would require new construction, new housing construction, to feature opportunities to rest and be welcome for those who do not number among the building's residents or customers. And one member of that commission referred to the idea of being sure to create safe places for the unhoused. So the saying, it appears, if you build new housing developments, a new home, a new apartment complex, one obligation you have imposed on you by the city of Portland is to provide safe resting places for the unhoused, the homeless. Like you have to make sure they're comfortable on your property. And they had the same member of this commission complaining about how some private property owners seem to try to remove people from their property who had no right to be there, who are homeless, who just show up on their property and set up camp, literally set up a tent, set up camp. And the city of Oregon's answer is not to try to provide better services, help these people who obviously have addiction problems and alcohol problems and mental health problems, it is to accommodate. It is to cement the notion that this group of people who are currently homeless will always be homeless. 
the only answer is to accommodate them, to provide them more free places to hang out and be and live, instead of to view them, to think of them as potentially having value, worth, merit, and purpose. They, they can't conceive of that. The only policy they have is to punish the homeowners. Now, I gotta tell you folks, how, you know, if you are a homeowner, or even if you're not, I will tell you, I know when we, years ago, my husband and I were both lawyers in a law firm, we were dating, you know, we had, we had salaries, but we had undergrad debt, we had college, uh, law school debt, we had, you know, life was expensive, and, and we had nice dinner sometimes that the law firm would pay for, but my husband had said years ago, you know, we were first dating, you know what, I'm really watching, I'm trying to save money to buy my first house. So we're not gonna have as many fancy dinners at, you know, at, as we might like. And I love that about him. I thought this is great, this is a guy who is thinking about his future. So we, two lawyers, I mean, eventually he did buy his first house and we got married and you know, combine our resources. The point is, people of all means, people who have relatively low paying jobs, people who have professional jobs, they plan to get to the point in life when they can purchase a home. They make sacrifices in order to be able to purchase a home. This is a good thing. This is something our policies should be encouraging in America, encouraging people to be frugal, to save. Those who want to buy a home should be encouraged. When you're the city of Portland and you're saying that our idea is to force people who work and save money to buy a home, or business owners who save money or borrow money to build apartment complexes, condominium complexes, whole developments that you're going to have to, part of your, despite that you saved to get there, we the city of Portland are gonna tell you, you've gotta carve out spaces for people who are homeless, not, you know, so they're diminishing your property rights they are treating the homeless as though there's no possible way they can comply with normal expectations about responsible behavior, no possible path forward for them out of the, and, and folks, a lot of people end up, not a lot, many people end up being homeless for periods in their lives because of drug addiction, alcohol addiction, bad decisions about spending, all, all sorts of reasons, divorces, families breaking up. It is not as though necessarily homelessness has to be a permanent stigma, but it's a big difference between how leftists think about people and Americans or people on the right should think about people. When you're the city of Portland and your idea is punish the homeowners, inflict through wealth redistribution means, inflict an obligation on homeowners who save their money to buy a home, the obligation to make sure there's a safe space for homeless people on your private property, whether you are a developer, a condo developer, an apartment builder, or whoever you are, the whole mindset behind that to start with, if you're a leftist like the Portland City Council is, is these people who are homeless have no possible means of redemption. There couldn't possibly be like a God who could, a, a greater power than humanity. So all that can be done to help them is house, feed, clothe, care for them, and force the care for them onto more and more people who actually engage in the responsible lifestyle. That's a leftist mentality. They are God. The government is God. The government takes care of people. And the only solution, they can't see these individuals as anything other than just a permanent homeless 
base, at, at, which is growing in, in the West Coast, because of leftist thinking, that failure to believe in the potential of people for redemption, for growth, for progress, to find purpose in life. I'm not saying you don't help them. You need to help with drug addiction and alcohol addiction, but the whole mindset of the left is you're permanently stuck and the only thing government can do for you is to make sure that we give you safe places to live. The other view, which is the the American view, the right-wing view, the just, just, the, just the apple pie Main Street American view, is really what the founders wrote in the founding of our country about the idea that we all are created by a creator. There is a creator, created all men equal with rights, and including with that concept of having rights to life, liberty, pursuit, and happiness, all of happiness, all those things, is the notion of the respect for the individual to be able to redeem himself or herself, to rise above bad situations in, in life, to find a way forward in life. And that is a fundamental distinction between left-wing thinking and right-wing thinking, that there is something better, a power outside of government that redeems, that helps, that moves. Government can do some things, but all that Portland is doing is cementing the homeless population in a sense of permanent helplessness, and that's actually not very nice at all for them. One last quick story. I just, this is actually an entertaining story, but I couldn't, I want to make some comment about it because it's been really funny in the news. I call it the Peloton Wars, but you know there's this exercise gadget, Peloton exercise company, and basically, you know, it's an exercise machine you can get on, and, and it's a bicycling machine. We don't have one, but it's cool. Anyway, so there was a, a uh, uproar uh, based on a new advertisement that Peloton put out. And I actually have the ad, I believe we have the ad to play. Peloton ran this ad at Christmas time, basically encouraging husbands to think about maybe buying your wife a Peloton for Christmas. Do we have that? No. Here we go. A Peloton? Give it up for our first time ride. All right, first ride. I'm a little nervous, but excited. Let's do this. Five days in a row. You surprised? I am. 6 a.m. Rising with the sun. That was totally worth it. Let's go, Grace Boston. 50 rides. She just said my name. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Thank you. This holiday, give the gift of Peloton. Okay, all I want to comment about that is, I, this is not a plug for Peloton. It is a plug for this idea. Look how bizarrely leftist feminist thought has contorted people's thinking that a sweet advertisement about a husband surprising his wife with a Peloton and she likes it and she's saying, well, gee, I thought I couldn't handle it and I, you know, then I really got better and better and now I love it. At the end, she says a very sweet thank you to her husband. I mean, a sweet ad. I can see why that ad passed all the politically correct you know, uh, blocking points that may be inside many big companies. But the left leftists went nuts about that ad. They claimed it was sexist, that her husband was fat shaming. I'm sorry, that woman is so skinny. I'd like to be as skinny as she is. So she's a skinny, beautiful, sweet wife who adores her husband, who appreciates a gift. But the left went so berserk over complaining about that it was sexist, it was fat shaming, it was disrespectful. That And I think there's a lot of criticism of the wife, that she was too... Um, demure to you know, too much just deferring to her husband. I mean, the whole absurdity, I mean, it's one thing you have a personal reaction to that ad, but the left never has just a personal reaction to ads. Leftism is always about relentlessly pushing their agenda, always, always, always pushing their agenda. So the opportunity to attack traditional marriage, 
to attack a normal-looking couple, a sweet husband who buys his wife a gift, a wife who likes her husband and appreciates her husband, says thank you to her husband, who likes the Peloton. The left saw that as an opportunity to exploit, again, basic marriage, traditional relationships between men and women, the whole notion of a sweet Christmas gift, which actually challenged her a little bit. She's a little bit nervous about getting on a Peloton. But that the idea that a sweet ad like that could be used by the left was just too rich for them to ignore. So they used it. They went on a big Twitter and social media attack on Peloton and accused them of being sexism, uh, of being sexist and being demeaning and being insulting and women should be outraged and how dare they talk about women that way, blah, blah, blah. To the point, it drove down Peloton stock. Seriously. So you know what? If my husband, he's listening, so I might tell him, I would like a Peloton for Christmas. No, not really, but I think they're great. I think they're great. And the idea that we're so bizarrely confused by leftists in this world that we would think we ought to be ashamed of an ad like that, it really says more about how out of touch leftism and leftists are with the heart and soul of America. And that's our show for today. We're gonna to turn, I'm gonna turn and tell you now why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And I believe we have that there. The very wonderful Travis. We have why these stories matter to you. I'm going to read to you in just a minute. If we get those up. Maybe I'll read them anyway. Should I go? Okay. So, number one. Okay, usually these are on the screen, so I'm reading from my phone. Seeking judicial review. The left is now saying seeking judicial review is an impeachable offense. Get this. A president goes to court to ask a judge to determine whether documents requested by Congress can be withheld because they may be subject to executive privilege, a legal concept that's been recognized for decades. And this is asserted by Democrats, one of their two impeachable offenses. Number two, a Democrat's position is that Congress cannot be challenged in court. They're saying they're superior to the other branches of government. This is the eradication of checks and balances among the three branches of government. It's the eradication of the Constitution. It should be the eradication of the Democrat Party in 2019. On impeachment, hilarious and shocking reactions, even California beach people know President Trump has done nothing impeachable and have said and that he has said and done many. I had to cut that clip short. There were so many funny clips. These people, a lot of people around the country cannot believe the Democrats are pursuing this impeachment, even beach people in California. Swing state polls show that President Trump is leading and pulling away in 2020. Nancy Pelosi knows this. And mainstream media attempts to cut away from Biden's obvious corruption. ABC, NBC, CBS cut away from the impeachment hearings when they put on that Biden tape and to claim is debunked. And they're actually calling the Biden accusation debunked. They're embarrassingly, transparently the work of partisan hacks and journalists, the lies of the impeachment scam, just like the lies of the Russia collusion hoax are collapsing on the liars, on the homeless versus the homeowners. In Portland, Oregon, new construction policy shows where secular socialism leads must make space and new developments for the unhoused. Work hard, save money, buy a house in a new neighborhood as your reward? No, not under leftism. Working hard is rewarded by imposing homeless safe spaces on private property. This is a result of secularism, which views the homeless as irredeemable, incapable of rising above their challenges, whose only hope is to be permanently sheltered and fed by almighty government via wealth redistribution. This cements homelessness. 
government rooted in America's founding idea, views all men as having rights endowed by our creator with the underlying assumption that redemption is possible and that government should address people's problems to, and to enable them to grow and to achieve. And the Peloton Wars, Twitter erupted over an ad with a grateful young wife thanking her young husband for an expensive gift of an exercise bike that she's enjoying using. No such thing as a grateful young wife, only resentful, bitter spouses. No such thing as a generous young husband, only a bad guy <laughs> engaged in fat shaming. And no such thing as a happy marriage, as normal, normal or even desirable. Leftism and feminism seeks to destroy all sense of normalcy and goodness between husband and wife. Time for exit. You know, folks, as I wrap up today, I want to mention two other things. I mentioned yesterday but these are important things. One is one way this show gets spread is by people who receive the once weekly email I send out on Fridays. It contains links to every story I talk about the entire week, easy to get to the segment you want to watch. If you'd like to receive that weekly email, go to my website, americachemitalk.org, and click on subscribe. Is no cost. You get once weekly email, and it's a great way for you to share the show. If you like the show, I'd love if you receive the email and forward it to your 25 best friends. This is how this show grows. It's very organic in growth. It's growing by just the fans who love to listen to it. So I love if you subscribe. You can all email me anytime. You can email me at americacommittalk at gmail.com. Yes, I'm way behind responding, but I do try to respond, and I love hearing from listeners. Love it so much. So I appreciate you. And if you're able to support this show, this show runs on donations. The only way the show is on air is through contributions of others. So if you love this show, on our website, americachemitalk.org, you can click on the donate button and you can make a recurring contribution or a one-time contribution. Either would be extremely helpful to keep the show rolling. I can use many of those resources to help expand the show through marketing and other efforts that I simply would love to do and right now cannot afford to do. So if you'd like to support the show, I'd appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk, where I talk truth about America every day because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear